0: Hi, I'm Richard Bond, and I am the producer and director of the Tupac Assassination Movies. Over the last 12 years, I have learned a lot about Tupac, and I'd like to share with you what I know. Howdy, everybody, and welcome to What I Know. I am Richard Bond. I am your host for the show, and thanks for tuning in. Hey, listen, I've got a couple of things to catch up with. I'm sorry that I have not been around for a couple of weeks. Uh, I had a, a bad, bad set of allergies that were affecting this beautiful baritone voice. And it would have been a very bad listening experience had you heard me coughing and hacking throughout the broadcast. So we kind of had to lay down for a little bit, but we're back up and going again. And the question I have for you is this, and it's an important one. Are Tupac's master recordings destroyed? Are they gone? Are they gone forever? Do you have them? I don't have them. Maybe somebody else might have them. But according to the estate
1: of Tupac Shakur, they're gone. Check it out. The 2008 fire on Universal Studios' famed back lot was deemed a tragedy by movie lovers. It destroyed the King Kong attraction and the Back to the Future set. But this week, we learned the fire may have destroyed a staggering swath of music history. According to an article in the New York Times Magazine, the fire consumed a vault containing the irreplaceable master recordings of an estimated half million songs. A universal document uncovered by the Times reads, Lost in the fire was undoubtedly a huge musical heritage. The artists affected by the reported losses are a who's who of music history.
2: That old black magic's got
1: Ella Fitzgerald, in Buddy, in Buddy Holly, Tupac Shakur, and R.E.M. The article alleges Universal executives downplayed the losses after the fire. Many of the artists reportedly affected are still unsure whether their recordings are gone forever. Roseanne Cash tweeted, Universal owns my master's back to 1996, I'm afraid to ask.
2: On Friday, Soundgarden, Tom Petty's ex-wife Jane Petty, Hole, Steve Earle, and the estate of Tupac Shakur filed a class action lawsuit against UMG for allegedly concealing the extent of the destruction from artists, while simultaneously recouping the value of the lost master reporting.
0: Oh, no. No, no, no. Well, looks like there's another mess regarding the Tupac Shakur master tapes. Nobody seems to know where they are, but they seem to believe or know that they're gone or destroyed, huh? Well, yeah, okay, we'll talk about that. Take it away, Bob the narrator.
3: Master Tapes, the lifeblood of the music industry. From these original recordings, copies can be made for distribution. Master Tapes are very important to an artist control of the master tapes means control of the revenue they generate.
0: That's actually Bob Pavlovich, who did the narration for the Tupac assassination movies, a great friend and a good dude. Recently, over the last couple of months, I would say, um, there was a fire at the Universal Studios lot in Hollywood, California. And you say, Well, what are Master Tapes, RJ? Well, to understand master tapes, you have to kind of understand a little bit about the recording process in the, the industry and how your favorite pop tunes or your favorite rock tunes or rap tunes are actually made. Um, they're not all recorded at one time. You know, Back in the 60s and the 70s, uh, maybe a group might get together, the Beatles or something might get together, and they might all play in the same room, and each instrument would be individually miked or have a microphone set up for it. And they would play together and sing together and everything would sound great and they would put it together and that would be the end of it um, as the music industry kind of i don't know if I want to say improved but as techniques improved a little bit over the years the industry saw a need to actually segregate or separate each individual music track and that was because whenever they would get in the room and play together Whatever would happen on the drum track might have a little bit of echo from what happened on the audio track, the vocal track, and what happened on the guitar track may have a little bit of vocal on the guitar track, and that would be very hard to edit together or to mix, because if you turn up the guitar, then the voice that you hear in the background also gets turned up. So, the industry decided that they wanted to do a better job of segregating the tracks, and now... When you see a recording session for any of your popular rap artists or any of your popular artists, doesn't matter the genre. uh, What you'll find is that each individual musician will go in in a group of four. Let's say there's a guitar, a bass, drums, and a vocal. Each one of those four will go into the studio at the same time. The drummer will usually go in and lay down what's called a click track. And the click track is simply click, 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 like a metronome. And that gives the musicians that play the guitar and the bass a reference point to be able to record their part. And then the vocal usually comes in last once all the other elements are laid down, and they record their piece. Each one of them are done individually, and for the vocal, for example, they wear a set of headphones where they hear what the rest of the band is playing, but the microphone doesn't pick it up. Each one of those tracks that are laid down are actually called a master tape. So the bass would have a master tape, the guitar would have a master tape, the drum would have a master tape, and the vocal would have a master tape. So you get it. Four different artists, four different master tracks. Now, if you have an interesting composition, let's say something that's a little more complex than that, uh, maybe an orchestra, you may have 15, 20 master tracks. If you have a piece of music written by an artist that has a a separate part a triangle or they always say more cowbell cowbell track anything like that would actually be its own master so what you have is you an engineer takes all these 17 masters and puts them all together and then mixes them individually and blends them so that they blend together very nicely and maybe he edits a piece here and there and that is compressed down into what's called a recorded master and that's another kind of master so you have two kinds of masters you have the source masters that have the individual audio tracks from the segregated components, and then you have the recorded master, or the mixed master is what it's called, uh, that has all of it put together. So you got all these kinds of masters rolling around. Now, it was not unusual for Death Row or for Tupac to have several different recorded masters. Uh, It was not simply a master of Tupac singing under something in the background that wasn't the way it was and depending on the piece and depending on if there was orchestra or depending on if there was double track and Tupac liked to do double track and so there would be two separate audio tracks for that those were all masters now I had occasion to speak with the owner of Wide Awake Death Row Records his name was Bobby Thompson So. And Bobby Thompson, so, was the fella who basically got together all of the investors when Wide Awake Records tried to get Death Row Records catalog at the auction. I think this is back in 2009. Um, Wide Awake got many of the physical receivables from Death Row Records. And in doing so, they went through and they took inventory of all of those tracks and all of that and uh, we're going to put an album out. The problem is, is that they would find a wonderful vocal by Tupac that was supposed to have been linked to several other tracks for that song and again talking about the masters that are each one of those components for that song and Mr. Thompson so said that there were not enough masters to put the full composition together so what does that mean well that means you have Tupac basically doing an acapella there are some music that's supposed to go with it there's various other artists that played on those tracks to assemble the final song and they were missing elements to it so it would have sounded kind of crappy and why do spent spend a lot of time during their short tenure uh actually calling around they called the estate They called the family, they called other people that might have or know the location of these various component masters, if you will. And according to him, the reason that they weren't able to get a record off the ground right away, another Tupac album off the ground, was that they had a bunch of acapellas and they had a bunch of other elements to it, but they could never actually get all of the masters, the underlying master tapes to assemble to correspond with the audio part that tupac had done now some would say well you know what you can take an audio by itself and you can put music under it and that's absolutely true but i think what they were going for was the um actual you know the intended recording the intent of the artist the intent of the musicians at the time that that recording was done to give it an authentic a hook an authentic feel so that's what they did and Mr. Thompson so said that there was a constant source of pain for them because they couldn't find the masters. So we know that there's this giant cloud surrounding where are Tupac's recordings and to keep up the date at this point. So, so you keep up, you know, we've been talking about it for a minute. Uh, the Tupac recordings disappeared from death row records, uh, along with many other masters that disappeared were both the edited masters and the component masters, uh, and the individual, individual tracks themselves. They disappeared. Nobody knew where they were. People were holding on to them. People were absconding with them. People were selling them. There's been this whole big cloud of what's happened with Tupac's masters. And the estate did have some of them, but certainly not all of them. And again, if you have an audio track, and Robert Thompson so uh, actually validated this. He said that uh, he had to contact the estate because they may have a piece of a final recording and... Maybe the second verse to the song, and then the master for the first verse of the song was actually in possession of Wide Awake, and so they would have to call, hey, do you have the second verse to this particular song, and the estate would say, well, I don't know, so they would look, and it was just this whole big confusion about the masters, and then come to find out there's even masters floating around in Detroit, and that makes perfect sense with what we've heard about how master tapes would disappear.
3: On October 2, 2008, a woman led Deputy Christopher Schmidt of the Livingston County Sheriff's Department to a storage unit in Burlington, Michigan under her name. That's where the officer found what would appear to be certain master recordings and videos contained in 10-by-12-inch black boxes. Deputy Schmidt told the court that he had in his possession what he believes to be numerous master recordings of death row records that he obtained from the storage unit. Also located in the storage unit were work orders, allegedly signed to remove the property from Pacific Coast Title Archives.
0: So we really do want to uh, understand that, and that's kind of where it all started. But back when Wide Awake Death Row and Global Music Group, the company that owned them, uh, were putting it together, uh, they were still looking for, for masters, and this is, you know, many years later, they're looking to try to put them all together. Well, this actually led to a an incident that happened, and this is somewhere around October 2008 time frame, um, that a uh, uh, guest Global Global Music Group's attorney, uh, Michael Colasano, and this is coming out of XL, XXL Magazine, uh, says that he was approached by a woman contending to be a former girlfriend of a man by the name of Carl Butch Small, who was one of Shug Knight's buddies. Uh, Colasano asserted that uh, Small formerly served as one of the label's top heads. The woman, whose identity was only revealed in court, claimed Small told her he hid master recordings, videos, and other Death Row assets from the Pacific Coast title archives, which was where Death Row Records actually stored all of their masters. Uh, Between 2001 and 2005, the items weren't included with other assets bought by Global Music Group. And of course, that would be possible because... If they're gone and they're hidden, they wouldn't be listed as assets. And therefore, whenever somebody bought them, it would keep those masters as free from ownership. So somebody's holding on to them. The woman told Detroit authorities about the items after allegedly being attacked by Small earlier in the month, like month of October 28, 2008. The woman filed an order of protection against Small the following day and led Livingston County Sheriff Deputy Christopher Schmidt to a storage unit in Burlington, Michigan. Schmidt seized black boxes he believed that contained master recordings and the music videos from Death Row. The woman also said she possibly has additional Death Row items and plans to turn them into the authorities. He quoted as saying Global Music Group of Delaware has arranged financing to acquire the assets and stands ready to acquire the record label once a trustee identifies the inventory to a certainty. We can't see how anyone can bid on the assets with such a cloud surrounding the property being sold. This is what I was telling you about the uh, the ambiguity and how the masters were just all over the place. He goes on to say, in fact, in September 19, 2008, we submitted a bid that we hope the trustee will consider, but our purchase will require due diligence. The woman also told Colasano that she was contacted by Knight's girlfriend and attorney Tammy, we're assuming that's Tammy Hawkins, and that she feared for her life. So, here we go. The death row masters leave death row records disappear into the ether wide awake and global music are not finding the master tapes. They're just all over the place. And suddenly we find a bunch of master tapes that show up in Detroit. And no sooner than these masters show up, they go to the court and the estate listens to the master tapes that they find. And lo and behold, there are a bunch of Tupac unreleased masters that are on those tapes. Now, Why would Tupac stuff show up on tapes when it wasn't readily evident that those tapes were Tupac's tapes? Well, the truth of the matter was, and I've heard it on good authority, that master tapes can be rather long. They could be an hour long, and they could have multiple takes of an artist. But certain recording studios, certain engineers, uh, the way that they would run business, especially if money was tight, you might record more than one master on a tape. So you might have Snoop going in and recording a master audio and his verses for a song or some instrumentation that would go along with that music and that would be on a tape. And then all of a sudden, maybe in half hour into the tape, there would be suddenly a different musician that was on that tape. And that happened a lot at death row because money was tight. They didn't always have brand new reels to throw in to make the audio recordings. And that's how they did it. So it wouldn't be obvious if you listen to the first five minutes of a Real, you'd say, oh, that's Snoop, and they would mark it as Snoops. Um, but if you listened half hour in, suddenly the voice changes and it's Tupac's, and that's how the estate was able to identify that there were uh, multiple uh, master recordings from Tupac and, and master recordings involved with Tupac's sessions, uh, musicians, and other components, as I spoke about earlier and that they were there but they weren't obvious to anybody because they were recorded on the back half of a master tape and that's important to understand because it may not have been an intentional thing that they didn't find all of tupac's recordings or it wasn't that death row was hiding tupac's recordings it was just honestly death row didn't know where the hell and the engineers weren't talking because they weren't paid any money at that time they were owed money that they actually didn't know that the Tupac recordings were actually not on their own reels and that some of the recordings may have actually been on the back of somebody else's reel, a reel that Mark Snoop may have Tupac recordings on them. And yeah, I know, this is getting a little bit dry, so let's do this. Let's hear from uh, Daryl Harper, who was a death row recording engineer, certainly knew his way around master tapes, and uh, he had a few things to say about uh, Tupac and the Machiavelli album. Take a listen.
2: Man, here's one of the most prevalent conversations that he would have about uh, Machiavelli or whatever. He would I remember him saying, uh, he used to uh, say, man, we sh- we should get at least a meal out of this. We should at least do a million on this, man. Like, he just wanted to hope he went platinum. Like, you know, when we were making the, the songs, I remember him, like, sitting there with me and, the, the outlaw said, man, we should do at least a million for this, man. I know we should, you know, like he was just calculating, hoping that Machiavelli did a million, you know? And uh, uh, then I remember him designing the the, the the look for him on the the chain, you know, and all that. And all. But uh, yeah, he, he he was just hoping that the, the debut album for Machiavelli would at least hit a million. I remember that so many times. He man, like this was really like he was going to bed with this on his like, man, uh, he, I think I picked the right ones. I hope, hope we do at least a meal. I was around the time when tapes started to end up missing out of the vault, what we call the vault. When death row was going to ride like it was and everything, it's all kind of trouble, everybody just reached for their own. And a lot of people, to be honest, they were still in Tupac states. They was stealing his tapes um, and, running and releasing them and swap meets and different things like that. But people were just getting in the vaults, grabbing their own masters and other people's stuff. Uh, there was a lot of stuff that came up missing out of the vault. Was that when know? Norris
0: was running things? Was Norris, Norris was running things right
2: there? Norris was running things, but this, at the end, Oh, it didn't look like nobody was running nothing, because it just looked like it, everything went awry. It was just like chaotic, you know? It, it wasn't, uh, But Road was never really diligent to me on business points and stuff like that, because uh, even with us hiring people to play, for us, whether they were for hire or whether they we got sued by a lot of musicians who later, because Death Row wasn't diligent with their paperwork, they realized that these guys hadn't signed off as just session players. Yeah. Yeah. Them guys realized that some lawyers got up under them. Make them prove it. Make them prove it. Make them, ma- and a lot of them won.
0: All right, so that kind of says it all about the tomfoolery that's going on, at, you, you know, within Death Row and, and, uh. You know, the the masters are all over the place. Well, there's a lawsuit that just came out in 2019, and we alluded to it a little bit earlier, and uh, it's about the estate of Tupac Shakur suing Universal Music Group. And Universal Music Group, uh, you know, has ties to Interscope. Universal Music Group does a lot of the distribution for a lot of the labels, big and small. There's only a handful of them left anymore in the entertainment industry. Uh, And, you know, I want you guys to tell me about it. Uh, You know, it's R.J. Bond. What I know at outlook.com. Again, it's RJ Bond, what I know at outlook.com. Uh, that's our email address, and you can chime in if you have any facts relevant to it, and we'll talk about it in the next podcast. But uh, the estate did sue, and they sued Universal, and here's kind of how it goes. They said, and I'm reading off of their complaint, and this is the amended complaint, not even the first complaint. This is the amended complaint because a lot of the artists have actually dropped out of the lawsuit when they, or they, for some reason, they believe that their masters weren't, weren't damaged in the fire, but let's talk about it. All right. this is from their complaint for decades, UMG universal music group stored the master recordings, as well as other video recordings, artwork, and other valuable materials in a vault. Okay. And entering into recording contracts with UMG, these, Groups like Tupac and others would convey ownership of the master recordings to UMG and entrusted UMG with the safekeeping and commercially reasonable management of the master recordings in exchange for the payment of royalties on any revenues derived from the master recordings. They thus reasonably expected that UMG would act in a reasonable manner in the maintaining of the master recordings and UMG undertook a duty to maintain the master recordings in a reasonable manner and to take reasonable measures to protect preserve and enhance the value of the master recordings. UMG knew or should have known that the industry standard for restoring and preserving master recordings, these include the manner in which discs and reels are situated on shelves, the security and stability of the facility, the proper temperature and humidity for storage in the facility, reducing risk of exposure to bright light, etc., 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 and most significantly that the facility is fire safe. Now, the complaint takes a sudden turn here and starts to talk about a fire that happened in 1990. And as the show is called, R.J. Bond, what I know, I actually know a lot about that fire in 1990 at Universal Studios. I was working for Universal Studios in 1990 at that time, and I was there when that fire actually happened, and I'm very aware of the fallout of that. But they do talk about the fire, and they say that in 1990, Universal uh, suffered a similar fire in the facades that destroyed virtually all of the same area as were destroyed in the 2008 fire. However, Universal, according to the estate, reconstructed just the facades after the 1990 fire. After the 1990 fire, defendants reconstructed the facades but only incorporated an exterior deluge sprinkler system in the facades. Defendants were repeatedly told by fire experts that they need to change the deluge sprinkler system to avoid a fire and prevent its spread. These fire experts walked through and inspected the back lot and issued specific warnings regarding failures of their deluge sprinklers and the corresponding significant risk of catastrophic fire. Well, guess what? Universal never changed it. On the evening of May 31st, 2008, maintenance workers employed by one of the fire defendants used blow torches to heat asphalt shingles to repair a roof on the set of the back lot at Universal Studios. The blazing hot shingles ignited in the early morning of June 1st, 2008, and a fire quickly swept through the back lot of the warehouse in which UMG stored the master recordings, destroying them all. This is what the estate is saying. All of the master recordings were destroyed. Then they go ahead and they lean on a press report and say, according to recent press reports and contrary to their public statements at the time, UMG's main West Coast storehouse of its most prized masters, by the time the fire was extinguished the next day, the metal storage shelves of master recordings were reduced to heaps of ash and twisted steel. And here's the kick. The estate is apparently trying to get 50% of UMG's net receipts for whatever the Tupac catalog could be worth, and they have sued Universal on this ground. Now, Universal is saying, well, wait a minute. All the masters were digitized long before, so the worst that could possibly have happened is that these copies, because that's all they would have been at this point, are digital copies of them, were destroyed, and that's like destroying a a reproduction of it. They've gone on the news, they've said that publicly. But the estate is still insisting that they were destroyed. Now, I really don't understand how the estate could get to this point. I'm really not sure what Tom Wally believes was actually in those vaults at that time or what kind of masters they were, because as far as I know, and this is what I know, the estate has been very litigious in getting back as many of the master tapes as they possibly can and when they hear that there are master tapes they do go after them and they do get them um, there are master tapes floating around i think john highland over at bombfirst.com's got a whole uh hard drive full of unreleased tupac masters and tracks and tapes and uh if somebody wants to email me i've got the print out of the hard drive list of tracks i think they're floating around somewhere Uh, and, you know, and at the end of the day, uh, the reason, only reason I mention Highland is because, you know, he was the one who digitized all of the tapes that they had from death row at that time. And so that really would have been when the masters would have been preserved was when they were actually digitized. So I'm not really sure. And I don't completely understand, how Tom Wally and the estate are saying that the master tapes are destroyed. And quite frankly, in reading through this complaint that they filed in court, uh, it looks to me like this is a big fishing expedition. It looks like they're not, they know that they may have had some masters or some recordings there of some sort, but they're not listing anything in here in terms of uh, what specific recordings were damaged. There's no uh, list of recordings that were damaged. Uh, there's no inventory here of any kind. They're just basically going off of what the New York Times put out uh, in their article about the Universal Fire. Um, that's that's all. I mean, they're not really, uh, they're just assuming that because Tupac Shakur was a recording artist that was released through Universal Music Group, that they actually have the masters and yes and i'm sure in the case of some of the older stuff like the deca stuff and all that if they hadn't digitized them yeah those probably are analog masters and those probably you know we're, were in a vault somewhere i mean i guess that could be true i'm not going to say it's absolutely patently not true for everybody but the later artists and later recording artists especially ones that were recording digitally to begin with uh you know they have copies and copies and copies of these digital recordings in different places on different computer systems and i'm not really sure that other than as archive material or as as reference material that the analog masters even had a lot of value after they were digitized so there's certainly some confusion here and and i'd sure love to hear feedback from anybody in the know about this but you know at the end of the day i you know most of tupac's songs over 200 of them the bits and pieces of them and like i said they were you know cut up into various recording tracks instrument tracks vocal tracks and that most of those have been reserved or preserved i should say in digital form they're out there they've been flying around the internet for you know 10 years now plus and so it's very difficult for me to understand exactly what the estate is going for here But, I mean, they're going on the record and saying that Tupac's stuff was destroyed, and they're trying to ask what was destroyed. I mean, generally, you don't sue somebody unless you have some inkling that there was some damage caused. And like I said, a lot of the other artists have actually withdrawn from going after Universal Music Group because at the the start, there was dozens of artists that were named and wanted to go after Universal. And somehow they've been convinced that their stuff either wasn't damaged or wasn't harmed, or even if they were, there were backup copies made, so it really wasn't the showstopper and end of the world that a lot of these people are making it out to be. But Tom Petty's widow and the estate of Tupac Shakur are the named plaintiffs in this case against Universal. So it will be interesting to see how this pans out, but according to Tom Wally in the estate, masters of Tupac Shakur were destroyed in a Universal fire. They're just trying to figure out what was destroyed and unless he's just making an allegation that's untrue and filing a lawsuit based on an untrue allegation, I'm not ruling it out. He probably could, but it would seem to me to be pretty stupid and a big waste of money if there wasn't anything destroyed and you're just going to run around suing people just for the sake of, you know, a fishing expedition. So anyway, that's, that's my opinion on it and, uh, You know, I'd love to hear more about it. We can continue the conversation about it if there's more. But uh, this lawsuit definitely does bring up the uh, fact that the, uh, according to the estate of Tupac Shakur, that the Tupac Shakur tapes were in Universal's possession and they burned down and were destroyed in the Universal fire in 2008. So let the talk begin. Let the uh, conjecture begin. And I'd love to hear more from you. But for now, that's what I know. I know. Martin Productions Production. Copyright 2019. We'll see you next week.